0: This edition of Monocle on Sunday was first broadcast on the 3rd of April 2022 at 10am CET. Ukraine is readying itself for a new assault on the east and south of the country. There have been Russian missile attacks on the port of Odessa. But negotiators say draft peace treaty documents with Russia could be advanced enough for direct talks between President Zelensky and President Putin. Journalists in Ukraine say retreating Russian soldiers appear to have killed at least 20 civilians near to the capital, Kiev, dumping their bodies at the side of the road. Lithuania's energy ministry says it has stopped importing natural gas from Russia. It says the move is in response to the war in Ukraine. In other news, Hungary goes to the polls today in the first parliamentary election to be held in Europe since the outbreak of hostilities. Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban is on track to win a fourth straight term. And in Serbia, there are presidential elections too, with the incumbent President Aleksandr Vucic expected to have an easier path to victory. Public sector journalists in Tunisia have staged a one-day strike over threats to press freedom. The National Syndicate of Tunisian Journalists has accused the president of trying to restrict unfavourable coverage. And a camel has been crowned the most beautiful in Qatar but only after she underwent x-rays to prove she hadn't been given cosmetic surgery. Mangia Gufran was declared the winner of the €202,000 prize at the Qatar Camel Festival. The competition took place after more than 40 camels were disqualified at the earlier Saudi Arabia beauty contest, where it was found they'd been given Botox, facelifts and muscle-boosting hormones to make their lips droopier and their humps more shapely. And those are the headlines on Monocle 24 now it's time to cross to a bright and sunny morning in samaritz for a special edition of monocle on sunday where our editorial director tyler Brule is standing by in a cozy corner at super mountain coffee guten morgen tyler how goes it
1: guten morgen emma you really set me up lots of shapely humps here uh, this morning uh, i have to say if we look at uh, the windows beyond and uh, i don't know maybe some of our pert and perky guests uh, as well
0: I'm glad to hear. How about droopy lips? That's something that any girl would aspire to.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I think many, sort of, many hours on the dance floor can lead to a droopy lips uh, and, and other things as well. Uh, but let me ask you, how is it in London this morning?
0: London is fine. London's recovering from three or four days of grim, nearly snow. Not quite Samarit standard. It's the kind of stuff that makes you look skyward and wonder what, what the temperature's like and what, what, what bodes for the future. But other than that, we're keeping things together pretty, pretty bright and breezily.
1: I think you can go to SamRitz.com, have a look, it's absolutely gorgeous, we've had a fresh dusting of snow, uh, and we're going to have a very jolly 57 minutes uh, or so, Monocle on Sunday starts now. Good morning. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brulé, and some very special guests. We are live in Samaritz today. I'm very happy to say that our Georgina Godwin has managed to stay up in the mountains. She didn't stay up all night, though. You've got some special guests for us. And good morning, by the way.
2: Good morning. I didn't stay up all night, but I did start the morning with a swim. Uh, We have Ilya Leonard-Pfeiffer, the acclaimed uh, Dutch author with us, following his wonderful event last night.
1: Excellent. Also, Andrew Tuck. He's not in London. He's not in Palma. He's in Samaritz this morning. (laughs)
3: Very nice to see you and hear from you. Good morning. I've, I've neglected the Palmer Bureau for one weekend. Uh, I thought I'd better join your show, show some face. And, uh, yeah, a great, a great night was had with uh, some intellect and some sh- sh- throwing some shapes on the dance floor even as well. And uh, you escaped that dance floor how many hours ago, Andrew? Well, I left at 1 o'clock in the morning where, when you were still there and uh, still many of our crew were, and I was surprised actually to see that they were all here this morning.
1: No, I was very, very impressed. There's a full crowd. I also have to say we have uh, a series uh, of amazing guests and delegates uh, here this morning as well. It's the 3rd of April 2022, live from Samaritz. This is Monocle on Sunday. And a good morning, uh, everyone. Georgina, very nice to see you. Uh, Andrew, great to have you uh, here as well. Uh, Georgina, maybe just uh, some thoughts uh, and uh, and reflections at uh, 24 hours-ish uh, into all of this. And uh, you were teasing a little bit earlier, and we can talk about, obviously, the, the talk that we had uh, last night, but maybe before that as well. Of course, you were, you were around this microphone yesterday morning, and then there were sort of many hours in between, and there was a ski lift involved as well
2: Tyler I it was just the most extraordinary experience and many thanks to you because you held my hand I'd never ever been on a ski lift before Uh, that is obviously because I'm African and you don't get a lot of those in Zimbabwe Uh, but I hadn't realized when you said come to lunch up the mountain that that actually involved a ski lift and I it sort of started dawning on me as we got there and I went into a panic but you held my hand and put me on and we just sat there in silence as we glided up the mountain i have to say coming back down the mountain after several glasses of champagne hannah grundy and i were uh, holding each other's hands in absolute terror
3: can i just say georgina actually shouted as, the, as, the, as the, she was going up i'm a virgin <laughs> <laughs> At which
1: point all the shutters were opening in villas all, <laughs> all, all over Souvretta, I have I have to say, <laughs>
3: uh, yeah, she surprised some of the neighbours. But, but but you made it and you, and you and you you lost your well your your My ski scheme. chair virginity. <laughs>
2: <That's it>. And <laughs> with, that doesn't mean not, that the not, pole not, was misplaced.
3: <laughs> not, it Couldn't have happened in a better way. Which path. is easily done with all of those
1: slats as well. Anyway, we'll be happy to hear that they're also replacing uh, those chairlifts uh, a little bit earlier. Uh, Andrew, uh, over to you though uh, as well. Just uh, of course yesterday, very nice lunch the month. then you came down uh, as well, disappeared for, for a little stretch. Uh, but we had a really nice lead in um, as well. A very uh, lovely chat uh, with Raito Kandrian, uh, proprietor, uh, also the, the CEO of, of Suvretta House, uh, and told us some very interesting stories about how to deep clean uh, a hotel. It was kind of remarkable to listen to that. And, and actually, what's interesting is this is the last day. This is the day that really most of the village uh, is going to, to shut down, at least all of the grand hotels, uh, many of the lifts shut as well. But he was talking about how they just completely clear the hotel. There's a lot of shampooing involved as well.
3: Yes, yeah, so and you can't quite guess it. I've just left Surretto House and everything seems to be calm and in order, but actually, on 12 o'clock it all begins to wind down very rapidly and he said that the only way that they've discovered you can actually clean a hotel is to take everything out so he said in a couple of weeks time when he comes to do meetings at the hotel there literally isn't a chair left anywhere on the ground floor every single thing is taken out and they've discovered that's the only way that you can thoroughly clean every carpet but the other story i love that he told us which is you get this sense of how a grand hotel operates is that many of the people who come here They live in in sunnier places, maybe they live in Brazil, so when they they leave, they don't take anything with them. They just leave all their nice cashmere, all their ski wear. It's boxed up, but before they box it up, they take photographs of where everything was hung. So when you come back, maybe it's two years later, five years later, you open the, the wardrobe and everything is exactly as you left it. So they know how to recreate how you like the room. I hope he didn't take in the pictures of the room before I left this morning.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say as well, if you're also one of those families that hasn't come back for seven years, you're going to be slightly, you know, maybe out of fashion because the trousers are going to be a little bit too wide or too cropped or whatever it may be. So they'll sort of, you know, they'll know that you haven't been around. But I said maybe that's the reason why they have tracht in the mountains, and that's why you know, you have a lot of people sort of wearing loden and timeless styles. So it doesn't matter when you come back and empty your wardrobe and have it uh,
3: rehung in your room. Uh, yes, yeah, so I think if he, he re- rehung my room, there was like some half-eaten chocolate on the table and. Uh, mm-hmm. that was, there was definitely a, a towel abandoned here and there, which I'd promised not to do. But anyway, we'll see if he recreates it in a couple of years' time. Oh, if you're just joining us, it's uh, just gone ten, almost
1: 10 past 10 uh, here in Samaritza. You're listening to a very special edition of Monocle on Sunday. Andrew, should we start uh, with you? Uh, maybe just a little uh, kick through uh, the newspapers, uh, what you've seen, uh, what's uh, leading the headlines uh, this side of the channel or, or elsewhere. Normally, the London papers are your beat, uh, but what have, what have you seen this morning? Well, the Mallorca Daily
3: News. Yeah. Uh, no. Let's <laughs> uh, spread our wings. So the FT is, is leading on the fact that a, a big rally yesterday, um, uh, Macron said, look, you need to come out and vote. This is one of those moments where people are hesitant. They think that things are going to probably go my way. They may not, you should come out and vote because this could be like Brexit. This could be a moment of extremism don't allow that to happen so he obviously has his eye on Marine Le Pen who's, st- who's most likely to be uh, standing against him in the runoff. Now most of the polls say that he will clear in the first rounds probably about 25-26% of the vote but it's just how, how tight it is and if it doesn't look good if Marine Le Pen comes in like 21% or something then he's going to be a, a little bit on the back foot going into the second round the left wing uh, candidate uh, candidate melanchon is doing pretty well but still only up around 15%. so that's the, that's the, the view of the ft on that. and as we're saying the other the other big story is going to be what happens in in hungary. we had uh, victor orban looking pretty much a, a shoe in but now there's a, a pretty united alliance of opposition parties against him. and while most people think he he will get through He's been again caught out by what the fast-moving events in ukraine because it does look as though his his close alliance and his his support of putin where he was he was in moscow even at the beginning of february may actually pay, uh, play against him there's also the nzz is leading on a story today the
1: headline is france is brigitte Bardot and topless bathing not veils and burkinis um and basically the story is saying french president macron just echoing what you're saying is re-election seems likely but also one in three french people want to vote for a candidate from the extreme right. And they have a a, really, it's probably a four or 5,000 word article dissecting this and really saying that is not how we sort of look at maybe the loony right sometimes, but it's going to the heartland of France, going to the major cities and talking to 20 and 21 year olds as well, who are saying that, no, I I want to go for Le Pen. And and actually, it's actually very much a celebration of of Zamour as well. Georgina, anything uh, from you?
2: Uh, Just just in the last few minutes, Pakistan's parliaments dismissed the no-confidence motion against uh, Prime Minister Imran Khan. They say that's due to foreign interference uh, and that that it went against Article 5 of the Constitution. Uh, So actually what Khan has done is he's advised the president to dissolve parliament and call for fresh elections. So this is going to be very interesting, particularly given Pakistan's relationship with Afghanistan uh, and and further afield.
1: This is an interesting one. Uh, This is also out of the the Noidzirkus I the NZZ this morning. Uh, the, the headline is "Thanks, but no thanks." This is Brexit is making school trips and language stays in England, a luxury. It said Britain's entry rules are driving up the cost of school trips, organizers and language schools are worried about restarting uh, after the corona crisis. Andrew, do you think this is one of these many stories that is starting to come home to roost as well, because we had sort of the fresh days of of Brexit, what that meant. And now you have the world opening up. So on one side, you're reading stories about problems at airports, etc. But now this is a really a critical moment uh, when, and this is a huge part, of course, of of the UK economy, which has been English language education. So do we start to see we move into a bit of a season of reckoning right now?
3: I think there's lots of places that are still going to suffer a little bit from the, the money they make from education, from incoming students. You know, Australia was very slow to open up. It used to be a huge source of income for them where people will, will go and where the complexity of where you can go is, is, is gonna be a big challenge. And the UK is gonna lose out on many things, but certainly what the education thing seems to be alarming. And just one tiny thing to pick up on that news headline about Lithuania cutting off uh, its, its, its imports of, of um, energy supplies from, from Russia. It's interesting how maverick Lithuania is proving because also on, the, on the, the, the issue with China, they have a spat with China at the moment because they've allowed Taiwan to open a representative office in, in, in Lithuania and use the title Taiwan, which has caused a, a big diplomatic fallout there. So it, it's interesting. And we should say also it's a story that we were on almost from the get go as well. Yes. So, uh, and our Red Stocker has been up to, to meet the foreign ministers. So it's interesting how, uh, how plucky the, the, the Baltic nations continue to be even in these testing times. Georgina, anything else uh, from you before we go? Uh,
2: well the Sunday Times is reporting, uh, the headline is, is the Biden show on the blink and it says that the Democrats have a Joe Biden problem, that they may not be saying it out loud or speculating openly about who their next candidate might be but the consensus growing within the party is that he is perhaps increasingly gaff prone he's elderly uh, and that simply not fit to run for a second term in office I mean by the end of that he would be 86 years old so one can understand why that might not be a possibility but who on earth is going to fill those shoes uh, Kamala Harris not popular at the moment
1: yeah and maybe a whole other program to dissect that it's uh, just coming up to a quarter past the hour here in Samaritza we're going to go away for a very short break. When we come back, uh, we will be talking to the author, Ilya leonard Pfeffer. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday, back in a moment.
4: The Foreign Desk is Monocle24's weekly global affairs program. We tackle the world's biggest news stories, as well as those left untold. If actually though you speak to the ordinary people, their aspirations is for a unified country, whether you talk to business people, to school teachers, to market traders, and so on and so forth, across the board is they want to see their country recreated as it was only this time as a democratic, accountable system. Our expert guests offer in-depth analysis and first-hand experience.
5: In one of the Ebola treatment centres I went to had been burned down by a community that were very resentful and frightened of Ebola and they still have a bunker in the middle. They've dug a big, deep bunker where they can hide if people come and shoot at them.
4: The Foreign Desk with me, Andrew Muller, is available every Saturday from midday London time, right here on Monocle24.
2: Monocle's April issue features our 2022 retail survey where we celebrate the brands and people reviving our high streets, keeping communities strong and reminding people of the power of coming together. Also in this issue, we take a road trip across southern France to gauge the mood of the nation as the presidential elections loom. We also visit Fiat's factory in Turin as the company's CEO, Olivier Francois, races towards an electric future then we take you to America's oldest independent art school. Head to the skies of Montana, where raging wildfires mean aerial firefighting businesses are soaring, and we drop in on the city behind Turkey's global rise in the furniture trade. Order your copy of Monocle's April issue today, or subscribe to get instant access online.
1: And you're back with a special edition of Audacle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brulé, Georgina Godwin, and Andrew Tuck. Uh, I am very happy to say as well that uh, we are joined by the author Ilya Leonard Pfeiffer, uh, author of the Grand Hotel Europa. He's become a bit of a, a mainstay uh, already amongst the group uh, over the last uh, 24 hours or so. Good morning. Very nice to Good see morning. you. Good morning. Very nice uh, to be here. You were up on stage uh, yesterday, or, or, or maybe you were in a comfy armchair uh, in uh, in the, the Stuva uh, of, uh, of Soubretta House. And it, during Regina, you you spent a bit of time uh, with uh, Ilya in uh, Genoa doing a a great reportage. Maybe maybe set the scene for us a little bit and maybe how this book sort of came to us as well.
2: Well, I mean, actually, we have to thank you for alerting us to it, because I think a lot of your German-speaking and Dutch-speaking friends uh, kept saying to you, look, there's this amazing book out there, but it wasn't in English. And you said to me, what do we know about this? And I tracked down the publisher and said, look, I, I need to see this book in English. And he said, well, I'm sorry, it's not coming out for several months yet and I said well I have to see it because in the background I've got Tyler going get me the book, get <laughs> me the book. Uh, and eventually there was a sort of a, a bit of bribery involved <laughs> uh, but they did send me uh, the, the first edit in English which I read and I was absolutely blown away by it I can see why it was a bestseller in in, uh, in Europe uh, and uh, then the dialogue started with Ilya trying to, to set it up so that I could go and meet him in, in Genoa which is where he lives now and honestly his, His book before Grand Hotel Europa is called La Superba, and it's all about Genoa. Being in the middle of Genoa, with the man who has written The Ultimate Guide to Genoa, is extraordinary and we sat in the cafe in which he had written the book uh, and talked about the city and its history and how much that that actually plays into the history of europe and indeed the future of europe which is really what grand hotel europa is all about so
1: maybe again let's uh, let's go back to these images that i've seen of you um and yeah i guess i'm sort of i'm curious maybe also from you from your side uh as well a follow-on from la superba what, what you've been looking to, to unpack at this, and this book coming out at a very remarkable time as well.
4: Yes, well, originally, of course, it was published in Dutch at the end of 2018, uh, which were quite different times indeed. Uh, actually, the English publisher postponed it uh, after the pandemic. Uh, but uh, I think, uh, actually, I fear that it is uh, as relevant as ever. Uh, talking about uh, Europe uh, and European identity in times of globalization. Having said that, uh, it, is, uh, it is not an essay, it's a novel. So it is all uh, in the form of a story, in the form of a thrilling love story, I wish to underline. And, uh, no, and, I, and I'm absolutely thrilled now that it's coming out in the, in the UK.
2: I'm quite quite sure that it will be as big a bestseller in the UK as it is everywhere else, because as you say, it's so relevant to our times right now. Uh, And talking very much about what the European identity is, and you spend a lot of time unpacking that, there's no easy answer though, is there?
4: No, but perhaps it's not even uh, my task to provide easy answers. As a novelist, uh, perhaps uh, the first thing I have to do is ask a couple of very good questions uh, by telling a story and showing the thing from different perspectives. But when you talk about European identity, I think that we can all agree that it has a lot to do with our relationship uh, with the past. Um, The past is everywhere in Europe, we're surrounded by the past and our relationship with it defines greater part of our identity i think Mm
2: -hmm. and i mean there's the book has got a lot of humor in it for for instance i I don't know how many of our live audience here have had a chance to flick through it yet but it can't have escaped your notice that there is a chapter headed uh furry pussy pawn shoes
4: (laughs) you keep talking about that that's really your favorite isn't it
3: (laughs) just be be grateful she didn't shout that when she was going up on the lift
6: (laughs)
2: Uh, no, but There is a lot of humour in it and there's also a lot of art and art history because of course your, your partner Stella is an art historian and I just want to sort of uh, sidetrack here a little bit to say that I went to your apartment in Genoa which is on the main square uh, and it's absolutely beautiful, it's in a palazzo and you've designed it incredibly or, or Stella has, it's full of 19th century artwork, and, uh, just tell us a little bit more about it.
4: Well, it's actually a bit older, the nineteenth century. But anyway, no, we we have been very lucky. Uh, we can, uh, could buy this amazing uh, apartment opposite to the cathedral, the Cathedral of Genoa. But of course, that uh, imposes obligations to the way you uh, you you furnish it. No, you cannot. Uh, I couldn't put up my Star Trek posters there. So um, <laughs> we. Um, we are enjoying ourselves um, with some antiques and that kind of thing and
2: you have a a replica of a statue that was actually in the dining hall of the first-class lounge of the titanic
4: yeah that's wonderful isn't it that's the uh, it's actually a a very famous greek statue of uh, the greek goddess at artemis Uh, and this very same well there are many replicas of it but the very same bronze replica was uh, On the fireplace of the first-class lounge of the titanic and actually when they found the wreckage it was the first thing they saw it was this statue that was undamaged it was there on um, the bottom of the ocean and that was actually the first clue they had that they found the titanic
2: extraordinary stuff. And just one thing before we leave that, that experience in, in Genoa, uh, you and I were wandering around all the places that you'd written about and everything uh, and Ilya, for those of you that can't actually see him, is a very imposing figure. Uh, and we were standing there just chatting in the main square and the Amazon guy walked past and went, oh, there you are, and handed him his mail.
4: <laughs> <laughs> you were quite impressed by that, but actually <laughs> that's actually quite normal. <laughs> yeah. It also happens that I am um, Different parts of the city and uh, the mailman is delivering something for Stella yeah, yeah no they know us uh, <laughs> and can I ask you about it because you know, we, we will, we've
3: been quizzing you a lot about what this says about Europe your book but just on that you know you you told this rather romantic story of you going to Genoa, ending up there because you, you left on bicycle from, from the Netherlands and you ended up in the, finally in the city and you thought you'd linger and you, you've stayed there many years. Your love story is in the city. You obviously have a, a passion for for Genoa and for its history and for what it represents. Do you think you could not have written this book if you had stayed put in in the Netherlands? Is it very much the book of a man who did found, find love and did find...
4: A new city to have as a partner as well in life. No, that is absolutely true. I I've fallen in love twice with Genoa. First with the city, and then with Stella. So the, every, every time there are more reasons to uh, to be happy in Genoa. And it's absolutely certain that uh, that I couldn't have written that book when when I uh, when I'd left when I, when I hadn't left uh, the Netherlands. But that's not only because of the love. I found in Genoa but it's also because Italy opened my eyes to a lot of phenomena that are going on right now in Europe Um, Italy is actually an avant-garde country many things are happening first in Italy and uh, one of the things one of the themes that started to interest me very profoundly when I arrived in Italy is this uh, situation about migration Uh, which was the main subject of the La Superba. And uh, in Grand Hotel Europa, there is uh, another effect of globalization, uh, namely mass tourism. And all that is much more visible in Italy than elsewhere in Europe. So actually being in Italy also uh, made me more aware of developments that are relevant to Europe today.
2: And you were talking about how Italy is first in many things. And of course, the Port of Genoa being the biggest port at the time uh, during the bubonic plague was the first place to, to, to actually succumb to the plague. And then we, we fast forward to the, the current pandemic. And of course, just, just down the road at the, the nearest airport, the first place again where the plague or the pandemic exactly. came
4: to europe yes exactly yes in the 14th century it was the place where the plague uh, entered europe and uh, two years ago it was um, well the modern equivalent of the port of genoa would be uh, uh, malpensa airport of milan and Yeah, I was in the midst of that two years ago. Mm.
2: And very much, but you also then went on to talk about the economy of, of Italy and how that might be a game changer and a place for Europe to look to in that that old style economy, the way we do business, heavy industry and so on, just isn't relevant anymore.
4: No, well, in, also that is very visible in a port city like Genoa, which uh, traditionally had a lot of heavy industry, shipbuilding and that kind of thing, but it, it makes less and less sense. It's more and more difficult to maintain the competition with the rising economies. No? So Italy is very desperately, I would say, looking for uh, a transformation of the economy. And the easy answer, which is not uh, the same as the best answer, is uh, focusing on tourism,
2: and that's what it's doing.
1: Georgina, I have to ask you. Uh, of course, you've you've read this book, and and of course you've you've conducted the interview. Does it lend itself to to film? Can when when you when you were, uh, of course, going through the pages and probably sort of thinking about it afterwards, did you see? Do you see this as a serial? Do you see this as? a wonderful two and a half hour epic or maybe it should just live beautifully only on page
2: oh no it's completely filmic and I think there there might even be some options on that but you know what Ilya and I were talking about last night I mean we, t- we spoke to a lot of guests who said what we want is to have another session with him after we've read the book and so then Ilya and I th- thought that actually this is quite a good wheeze and that his next book should be spa hotel Asia <laughs> or perhaps African safari hotel <laughs> and we, we we're just planning out your next few monocle time. <laughs> I,
1: I like that but I'm interested just is there that sort of sense in this day as you're going through the book and we, we had a you know obviously a long conversation uh, about the process of writing uh, yesterday evening do you think about it or were you thinking about it somehow with mm-hmm. a filmic component in mind
4: no, not really. No, no, that's, that's not how it works. No, I just have to tell... A very good story in the best way possible, and then in the end we can think about it if it's also filmable. But I think it is. I think actually it must be a Netflix series, at least <laughs> <laughs> five seasons. I think. Absol- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and
2: can I can I just say my production company Godwin Wakatama <laughs> is very interested. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and do you, do you feel a fear though? Because there is a, a bit of an irony here that. I've never spoken so much about Genoa and thought about going since you started talking about it and one of the very things you're talking about is, is the, the, the risk of too many people visiting cities. You're, you, you have a, 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 an odd shared responsibility here
4: as you begin to tell the tale of the city. Yeah, there is a paradox there. I'm very much aware of that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, no.
2: but being a tourist, yeah, as you pointed out, different from being a traveller.
4: Yeah well that's my my favorite paradox about tourism the tourists are always the others we are never tourists of course
1: absolutely not and we're going to have to leave it there Ilya Leonard paper very good uh to of course have you around the microphone. The book is out officially in the English language when I mean we've got of course we've got advanced copies up here in our yeah. mountain lair, but out when? Dr. I did... think
2: it's coming out in about two weeks' time, and then also in our uh, the latest edition of Monocle magazine, also out in a couple of weeks. Exactly, two weeks' time. Uh, we have a, a wonderful interview with Ilya, with uh, photographs uh, of him in in Genoa, uh, and then there's also a, an episode of Meet the Writers coming out at the same time, in which we we uh, recorded a conversation actually wandering around the streets of Genoa so you've got all the church bells and all the wonderful sounds uh, in, in that interview.
1: Grazie mille, danke Very good to see you.
2: Grazie
1: a voi. It is uh, just coming up to uh, 10.30 uh, here in, uh, in, not in Zürich, in St. Maritz, actually. Uh, 9.30 uh, back in London. Uh, Emma Nelson is there with the news headlines.
0: Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. Ukraine is readying itself for a new assault on the east and south of the country. There have been Russian missile attacks on the port of Odessa. Meanwhile, Lithuania's energy minister says it's stopped importing natural gas from Russia. It says the move is in response to the war in Ukraine. Hungary goes to the polls today with Prime Minister Viktor Orban on track to win a fourth straight term and in Serbia there are presidential elections too with the incumbent President Aleksandr Vucic expected to have an easier path to victory. And a farmer in South Africa has developed a new flavour of goat cheese. The discovery came after his herd of goats broke through a fence and devoured a neighbouring field full of two hectares of medicinal marijuana. The goats were discovered just before their afternoon milking, either snoozing or moving at half their usual sprightly pace. And those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler, in Samaritans.
1: Thanks very much, uh, Emma. I do have to ask you uh, mm-hmm. when, when we think about uh, Grand Hotel Europa uh, as as a book, does sort of conjure up any images uh, for you uh, listening to that? And uh, are you going to tune into the five part Netflix series?
0: Absolutely. I'm going. I'm, I'm joining in with Georgina in trying to try and get the rights for this one, and I can happily help with production. Yes, elegance and a sense of place self. The fact that I think only when you go to the big hotels in Europe do you get that sense of. You, 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 you get breadth as well as depth and you go right, right back into history and architecture and, and a time when travel was important as well. And travel had a sense of excitement and thrill to it that perhaps we, we've taken far too much to, for, for granted nowadays. And I don't mind f- faded grandeur as long as it's elegant f- faded grandeur. Would that be the right kind of, kind of spirit that we're trying to enact here?
1: Yeah, I think so. It sort of certainly sets uh, the opening scene, probably, uh, for the for the title sequence. Uh, Emma Nelson, back in London, thanks very much uh, for that. Uh, I'm also here uh, with uh, Andrew Tuck, uh, of course, our Editor-in-Chief, and Georgina Godwin, of course, host, and also, of course, uh, host of Meet the Writers. Maybe, Georgina, just uh, tell us a little bit, uh, who do you have coming up? I mean, there's a lot of things that are already in the can that have been recorded, and maybe you know, some, some names that you want to pitch for as well, in terms of who we should be having around uh, the microphone. I Either in this format or, of course, on your program?
2: Well, of course, the, huge, we've got a huge archive. We've got probably more than 200 authors uh, there that you can dip in and out of, from, I mean, very, very big names to, to, to debut authors. Uh, but uh, one of the ones that's coming up uh, very shortly, and in fact, I've done him before, but things have moved on, uh, is Andrei Kirkov, who is Ukraine's foremost novelist. He wrote uh, Death and the Penguin and Grey Bees, which is all about a, a mild mannered beekeeper who goes off to the Donbass uh, but of course incredibly relevant right now uh, and so Andre uh, has been contributing to the globalist telling us he's been on the front line well not the front line but he's been reporting from within Ukraine uh, and he's going to be coming back on the program uh, to tell us uh, really how it affects a, a writer a thinker a journalist and and uh, how he's also president of of Penn Ukraine how he feels that it's affecting the the human rights of various writers. Mm.
1: I'm, I'm happy to say that uh, we have a guest uh, joining us uh, right uh, now uh, Nuno uh, Christsoimo he's uh, a regular uh, at our events conferences has been a long time fan um, and uh, there was a bit of a celebratory moment as well Georgina, you were probably uh, chatting to Ilya but uh, Nuno came by uh, and delivered a wonderful uh gift uh to, to both of us uh, it's a certain vintage and Andrew just so you know uh this I was going to, I was going to sort of you know keep it and put it in my cellar but I was told uh Uh, that that there's something very special about it so i think you are going to have to transport it to your palma uh (laughs) seller uh at at some point as well but um i just want to say nuna welcome to the program great great to have you here and and it's important to say that we've had so many fantastic conversations uh i would say we're moving on to or getting close to probably a decade of those discussions um with you 20 years of uh, of service uh for the united nations uh, particularly um with with unicef um Pinballing between multiple countries, uh, now sort of in semi retirement. But Georgina, I sort of feel when I introduced the two of you, of course, raised in Africa, raised in Africa, and Maybe just the, how you sort of kick things off in this conversation, because suddenly we were we were transported immediately to Maputo, which was kind of remarkable.
2: Well, it was extraordinary because Nuno asked me whereabouts in Zimbabwe I grew up. And of course, it was on the border with Mozambique. And I had no idea he'd grown up in Mozambique. And so it, of course, immediately sparked this great conversation. And you were asking about uh, people on Meet the Writers. Well, both Nuno and I uh, share an absolute passion for the writers. Susan Williams, uh, who's written this book called Who Killed Doug Hamish, and it's all about what happened in the Congo. Uh, the, he was the second ever uh, UN Secretary General who, who was killed in 61, 62, 61, uh, and just completely changed the way that the UN developed, that the way the Congo, which borders nine other countries, developed. I mean, it was a, a huge thing. Uh, and uh, Nuno knows an enormous amount about the Congo. I mean, you've been based in Kinshasa for the last few years.
6: Exactly. Good morning, colleagues. Uh, I've been in Kinshasa for the last three years from 2017 to 2020, the most uh, hopeful period of uh, recent history of the Congo, the first peaceful transition in 60 years of history. What what this means is the first time ever that the president comes out alive. Actually, it is the first time ever that there is a first spouse, honorary, uh, former, they don't even know what to call her. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's quite extraordinary, isn't it? Nuno, tell us a little bit about your career, because you have been in so many places and done so many fascinating things. Um,
6: it's, it's been a passion. You know, uh, it's not really a career. You know, actually, I, I, when I reached 70 countries, I stopped counting. It doesn't make sense anymore. Uh, it's not always easy, but always passion about what uh, what I've been doing, you know. Um, I
3: was sorry. going to jump in, but you, you... If we, we come just to this, this tiny story about Kinshasa, because I think we did an event up here a year ago. It was so complicated to travel at that time, and, you, and you'd traveled 24 hours. You'd, you'd come from Kinshasa to Paris, from Paris to Zurich and Zurich, up to the mountains. And you continue to go back to Kinshasa. You, you say you stop counting, but there is a bond there now, isn't there? Because you're, you're now also representing artists from the country, you're, you're, you're trying to elevate how we, we think about the people in the country. The story doesn't stop when you leave. Absolutely. You know, uh, there is a lot of talent in the continent. Uh, I've been living
6: in the continent, uh, Africa, uh, on and off for the last 52 years. So it, it gives me a perspective how things evolved on the positive way, you know, in terms of telecommunications, in terms of energy, in terms of education, because there is a lot of talent. If it's rightly, you know, taken care of, uh, a lot can come out. You know, so it's why I'm right now focused on contemporary African art.
3: Now, you tell me there's a, a Biennale coming up in yes. Kinshasa. Uh,
6: September, October, you know, the second Kinshasa Biennale uh, is coming
3: up. Yeah. Now, immediately, we think it would be great to go. But in our mind, the DRC is one of those countries that is is so kind of entrenched in, in warfare and its tumultuous past. You say you say that has changed now. Do you think it's, it's possible for people here today or listening in to think maybe I will go to Kinshasa? How, how would how would you, would you even contemplate going there? Can you just arrive at the airport and, and walk in? Absolutely. Uh, right now, uh, you can get your visa on arrival in Kinshasa.
6: In terms of security, it's relatively safe. I mean, you have no suicide attacks, no truck bombs. Of course, the east of the Congo is different. You know, We are all about what happened last week with the so-called M23 movement you know, uh, and uh, the shooting down of the Pakistani peacekeeper helicopter. You know. I know all the tensions are in uh, a country in Central Europe, but these are still the realities you
3: know, on the ground in Africa. You know? But Kinshasa
6: is totally, uh, totally doable, uh, and uh, you are more than welcome to come. Okay, it's my, my last Antarctica. tiny
3: question, because I'm always fascinated these, these extraordinary cities, they always have the one hotel, we've been talking about hotels today. Where is, is, where is the hotel that is, is, is where all the lobby action happens in Kinshasa? Um,
6: the former Intercontinental, uh, now uh, by uh, Pullman on the car group, where I spent three years, including six months of confinement.
3: Okay, you were locked down, but I understand they let you use the pool during the lockdown. Yes, uh, (laughs) the manager
6: locked down uh, skeleton stuff. So we were able to use the gym and the pool for six months. We were not allowed out of the hotel, but uh, all staff and uh, and guests were locked down in the hotel. You know, I want to ask you. Maybe a book, maybe a a book book. as well. There's a
1: couple of people who can help you on that here. Uh, You you mentioned, obviously, of course in referencing the, the current conflict in the ukraine um as part of your uh, semi-retirement uh one side of course uh, being in the world of african contemporary art uh but also still um in the humanitarian field as well you've been out in poland uh, recently maybe just tell us a little bit about uh what you've witnessed uh and and also your your role in this time
6: uh sure uh yes i have been you know mentoring helping uh, a, a colleague you know with a french non-governmental organization operating in poland in one word a lot of generosity i've known poland since 1989 uh, is probably one of the most generous people in the continent so uh, the first phase you know the first few weeks of this conflict you know the welcoming of the the polish people uh, faith-based organizations, civic organizations, you know. Uh, just to give you a sense, the first few weeks, the emergency housing in Poland was empty because everybody, absolutely everybody, it's not the case anymore because they reached two million people displaced, you know, inside Poland, you know, but absolutely everybody at that time was staying with families. So it gives you a sense what a society we are talking about.
1: And when you look at this right now, because we, we had an event, we were uh, touring the Nordics uh, last week, it was interesting coming across various readers and, and uh, one of our Polish readers came up and said, "You, know, we, we, you know when I look at the coverage, uh, the Western media, it becomes, as often as the case with coverage, it becomes so simplified. And she said, I'm wondering when we're going to get to a, a point where people also talk about actually, it's not a very easy relationship historically between the Ukraine and Poland. Uh, She said there are some rather tragic stories also how we look across as poles at our at our neighbors. When you look at a humanitarian crisis like this, and what we've seen, I think, even over the last sort of 24, 48 hours, um, uh, you know, we've had the the justice minister here in Switzerland saying that, you know, part of this, this human wave part of this migration story, you know, is also about a destabilizing force. So this is, of course, uh, the realm that you've been in in a while, What, what normally happens in in this next phase? What do European countries need to think about? Is it one side you know, trying to think about assimilation that a lot of people are not going to go back or also thinking about um, a path to repatriation as well? Mm-hmm. Again, in the, from my experience, one
6: word, fatigue. Donor fatigue, you know, uh, can you imagine uh, housing a refugee family in your apartment? Oh, doesn't matter how big or small it is. So fatigue, you know, uh, any, any crisis, you know, uh, will, if it's prolonged, you will know, we'll bring debt.
3: I was sitting next to someone at dinner last night, who I won't say their name, but I, think, I believe they're even, he, even here now. They came to Switzerland as, as a refugee from uh, Croatia. And she said the strange thing for her family when they, they came here, at the beginning her dad was like, look, we're not going to put you into school because I'm sure this is going to be done in two weeks, or then it's going to be done in a month, and then it's going to be done... And actually, when it got to several months, he was like, OK, maybe we're not going back. When you see people coming across the border, whether it's in Poland or whether you see the, the internal displacement of people in somewhere like the DRC, as, as, a, as a person there kind of coping with the, the, the crisis, do you think about the long term? Do you think about this is what needs to happen in the political situation? This is what has to happen on a geopolitical stage? Or have you learned over the years to be more cynical and think, I, I won't worry about that, I will just deal with the, the mechanics and the processes that we need now? We, you need to build uh,
6: to, you know, to start building the future immediately. You know? So uh, sometimes uh, I acknowledge that uh, the easiest solution is to build camps. But by the way, f- from the 1951 Refugee Convention, camps are not allowed. So people need to be integrating in the local communities. And believe me, a couple of countries in Africa take this very seriously. Zambia never had refugee camps. Ghana never had refugee camps. They follow the convention to the letter, you know, and they integrate the, uh, the refugees from Angola, from the Congo, from uh, Cote d'Ivoire, in the case of Ghana, you know, in the community. So it's extremely important, you know, to continue to look to the future in a positive way and really to create the conditions for the, the, the children to to receive an education.
2: In terms of Ukraine, though, many of those people really are very focused on getting home as soon as possible.
6: Absolutely. It's legitimate. You know, it's your home. Can you imagine abandoning everything that you have now? Of course you want to go back. That's natural.
2: But I mean, that's different from from many other countries where people who are moved out actually have this mindset where Mm -hmm. they've gone and they've got to build a new life elsewhere. These refugees, I I sense, are different in that this is a temporary thing. Actually,
6: uh, again, uh, from experience, what you are going to see is what we call, you know, pendular movements. So people go back and forth, back and forth.
2: Do you think it's the same in Russia? We've seen a huge brain drain of the Russian intelligentsia just leaving now in fear of what Russia's about to become or has already become.
6: You know, uh, from Russia, I cannot really uh, mention anything because I've not been there recently. But uh, I guess, yeah, it's natural, you know. uh, Unfortunately, the UN system does not have an office in, in Russia since 2010. UNICEF was the last agency to be asked to leave and we were never able to, to return. We are in Bielorussia, but we are not in Russia. On yeah.
3: a, a, a more positive note, perhaps, the, the artists you're representing, let's just quickly dive into this, because maybe our listeners are imagining you're, you're bringing some craft work nicely from you know, the Congo or something. We're talking about you representing people at top-level galleries, and people who had, had no global exposure at all, now commanding tens and tens of thousands of dollars for each individual piece. Tell us how, how you've managed to bring artists into this into this globalized, really you know, powerful art well, art market. Well,
6: first of all is the talent that we were talking about, you know, just a few minutes ago, you know. And then, you know, yes, I acknowledge that people say that I have an eye for certain, you know, talent, you know. <laughs> so that could explain, you know. Uh, yeah. We, we want to see uh, pictures but, of the walls in your houses. <laughs> <laughs> but uh s- s- you know, specifically, you know, there is a lot of talent. Is is demographics? You know, uh, Kinshasa has a, a fine art academy for the last seventy five years, on and on. You know, so uh, of course, you know, uh, you have a brand new generation. You know, these artists we were talking about before, you know, is not even thirty years old.
1: I just, just want to maybe do a poll. I mean, you've done such a good job. As much as we've had. Uh, of course, Genoa uh, sold this morning as well. And what if it's going to be a Monocle weekend or in Kinshasa? I mean, as long as you can sort of, you know, uh, we can work with the right security people um, as well. Anyone up for going uh, to Kinshasa? Yes. yes? Okay, we've got we've got a we've got a full show, showing of hands uh, here. Nuno uh, you know, also very very nice uh, to have you on the program. Uh, it's uh, time for a very very short break, long enough to get the coffee grinder going uh, here in Zamoritz. We're back after this.
4: Funny how many people get these things wrong. I go into a lot of jazz clubs and I go, what made you build it like this?
3: Everyone's got an opinion about design these days, but join us on a journey to cut through the noise as we sit down with some of the design greats. It's just bloody-minded inquisitiveness, really. We also have you covered on everything from architecture to product design to fonts and fashion, too. There's so many collections being designed. Actually, there maybe is a lifespan on a designers' role at the helm of a brand. If you haven't already guessed it, Monocle on Design is Monocle's weekly design show. Tune in every Tuesday at twenty hundred London time or find it wherever you get your podcasts.
5: The Monocle Book of Entrepreneurs is a smart guide to starting and running your own business from the people behind Monocle magazine. It's a handbook designed to encourage, inspire, and perhaps even gently prod its readers into taking the plunge and starting something for themselves. Inside, you'll find canny case studies of 100 businesses that succeeded, ideas on where to base your business, and advice from more than 50 industry experts on everything from finding funding to scaling up. There are ideas and opportunities for everyone from a first-timer with a dream to seasoned entrepreneurs mulling over their next venture. This isn't about getting rich quick, but it is for those interested in building something with integrity, making something that lasts, something you'd be proud to pass on to the next generation. Isn't it time you turn the page? Let's get started then. The Monocle Book of Entrepreneurs. Go to monocle.com forward slash shop and order your copy today.
1: You're back with Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Relay, Georgina Godwin is also here and Andrew Tuck. It's uh, just gone at 9.48 uh, if you're listening in Porto. It's uh, 10.48 here in Samaritz. It's uh, 12.48 if you're listening in Dubai. Now, we uh, just came off the back. Andrew, it was interesting just off the back of this discussion about uh, the world uh, of art and what might be on on Nuno's walls. And Georgina, I'm always sort of fascinated. It was was amazing to sort of watch you sort of light up. um, And when you talk to someone uh, who you were sharing a a common border with uh, as well, growing up uh, in, in Africa with this sort of this, uh, this sort of delight and this sort of sense of, of hope. I mean, knowing that obviously all of the conflicts and all of the issues and, and and leadership problems that continue to rage as well.
2: Absolutely, I mean, and particularly for me, I, I think, you know, I'm, Zimbabwe made me an enemy of the state, so I can't actually ever go home again. So meeting people like that- Though you I do mind.
1: sort of have fantasies of what you, you know, if you did sneak into the country, you know, what you sort of you know, might get dressed up as. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I, I fantasize about that I was too. gonna say, there must
1: be a little bit of, <laughs> of cosplay going on uh, in your residence.
2: Uh, but there is, I mean, one thing that, both those countries, but Mozambique and Zimbabwe have, is this incredible uh, art tradition. And of course, that's something that, that Nuno has, has identified, particularly with sculpture, a lot of amazing sculpture coming out of that and and selling for huge prices around the world, as I'm sure our, our next guest knows.
1: Indeed, well, uh, Stefano Rabolli uh, is here. He's the director of Hauser and Wirth Gallery here in St. Moritz It's very, very nice to see you. I saw you taking notes though furiously in the back when we were talking about uh, Af- African art, or maybe you could have been texting somebody as well. I'm not, I'm not quite <laughs> sure. Uh, but uh, good morning. Very nice good to morning. see you.
7: Good morning, Tyler. Good morning, everyone.
1: Good morning. Uh, maybe uh, let's uh, let's start a little bit about just, uh, of course, this is uh, a, a town, a, a village, uh, which has always had a, a very strong connection to the world of visual arts. And of course, uh, there's always been a, a strong gallery tradition, but you've become a bit of an anchor uh, here as well. It's hard to sort of miss the Hausenberg <laughs> Gallery uh, when when you come in because you've, you occupy one of the, the leading spaces. But maybe just tell us a little bit about the, the history and also what is coming up as well.
7: Well, it is an interesting question because uh, the Engadin has been uh, really at the core of the activities of the gallery. And uh, way, way before, of course, it has been really the hinge between the north and the south of Europe. I always find fascinating that uh, uh, this is like the highest valley in the Alps. And uh, as soon as you cross the mountains in the south, uh, they start speaking Italian. As soon as you cross the uh, valleys in the the north, uh, they start speaking German. This is like an ideal oasis is a a natural platform from where you can really uh, look at Europe uh, with a a critical distance. And this is the reason, I believe, why many artists always found uh, inspiration uh, in the Engadine. And the tradition has been going on for hundreds of years. I mean, from uh, uh, Nietzsche, Thomas Mann, and uh, recently even Gerhard Richter, uh, Julian Schnabel. There is an extraordinary uh, tradition of uh, art and and, and culture. Uh, I recently discovered that uh, Hitchcock conceived the birds here in St. Moritz, uh, while uh, in the palace. So even the tradition with cinema is quite uh, rooted. And uh, uh, of course, the gallery is a Swiss gallery. Uh, now it's uh, everywhere, but uh, uh, there is a very strong route with uh, Switzerland. And uh, uh, Ivan Wirth uh, uh, still recalls the I- initial uh, uh, activities he did when he was still like uh, very young in the Engadin. So he really wanted to have a base here in Sam Moritz. And I'm very glad that you uh, acknowledge that uh, our ambition is uh, being much more than a commercial force. We really would like to gather cultural uh, uh, forces around us. And we really are very keen to trigger an entire like a uh, discourse, uh, uh, wider cultural discourse around the activities of the gallery. Um, uh, we have uh, currently a beautiful exhibition of Thomas J. Price. Uh, one of the most uh, important uh, uh, artists of his generation is an artist that always question the preconceived ideas about uh, uh, monumentality, sculpture, portraits, and there are details that uh, constantly subverts our preconceived expectations. So, it's uh, uh, definitely uh, wonderful to see such a, like a fresh and refreshing uh, position here in the in the Engadin. Now, one of the amazing things about
3: uh, Hauser and Wirth is that you have as a gallery internationally, you've moved often out of big urban centers to find people in new interesting places. You, you opened in Menorca last summer. If you come to the UK, if you head down to the wilds of Somerset, you'll find an amazing gallery there with an extraordinary garden. What is it about getting out of the New Yorks and the Manhattans and the, the Londons and the Cork streets yeah. That, that, that allows you to have a, perhaps a different kind of conversation? Uh,
7: the main uh, focus of the gallery, the main mission, is, is still like uh, the uh, possibility to provide artists with uh, inspiration. And uh, uh, artist first is uh, what uh, Ivan Wirth constantly uh, repeats to us. And uh, uh, most of these uh, uh, locations that you're mentioning. Uh, were really uh, conceived uh, as opportunity to uh, offer artists unexpected new places to work and to find inspiration with. Another aspect that emerged while developing this project was a, a new form of connection with the community. Uh, it all started with the Somerset Gallery uh, five years ago. Uh, It was really like a gamble on when when, uh, the gallery started. So there was a lot of uh, uh, resistance, even internally. And uh, in the first year, uh, we had 170,000 visitors going from London uh, to Somerset, which is uh, approximately two hours away from Paddington. So it was truly an incredibly successful experiment. And this was like the the prototype that uh, unfolded through other uh, uh, projects in Menorca, in Scotland and here in Diengadin and, and so on.
2: And uh, just looking ahead at your next exhibition in the summer, I know that you've got uh, Zhang Enlai.
7: <laughs> Zhang Enli, yes. This is a, a phenomenal uh, Chinese artist. Uh, who um, uh, evolved in his uh, career, starting from uh, the uh, paintings of uh, architectural details, like very often like neglected or uh, apparently non-important uh, uh, element in the space, and uh, progressively evolved into abstraction. And uh, I think that one of the most powerful aspects of his uh, practice is that he often uh, creates entire spaces where the walls, the floors the ceilings are covered by paint so people have the impression to enter into a, an immersive landscape but in an analog analog way because nothing is digital it's really an extraordinary painter and uh, this idea of like uh, becoming landscape is something that we thought could have been pertinent for this uh, beautiful landscape in the England where we are
3: just a, a quick one perhaps one of the world's greatest art collection sits in the geneva freeport it's, yeah. it's art bought here that is investment class, never leaves the country, sits in a warehouse. When you sell an artwork, is there a little bit of your stomach that drops
7: when you know that it will never be looked at? Uh, We always uh, uh, hope that, uh, and the artists as well, always hope that uh, their works can be viewed and seen and appreciated by the public. And uh, uh, of course, uh, the, the Freeport touches upon one of the major issues of the art market and the possibility today of uh, experiencing and uh, uh, living with art. And I think that uh, going, going back to your point about uh, the different locations uh, we have in marginal areas, this is even the opportunity to again make uh, art uh, uh, seen and appreciated by the community so it's in a way a, a model which is opposite to the one of the the free ports because we really wanted people uh, experience art uh, and they really are in a, in a restaurant in a, a, one of our hotels so it is actually very important to really break this uh, model of uh, inability to use to start appreciating art again.
1: Stefano <laughs> Rabolli, thank you very, very much. Very good to see you, uh, Director of Houser & Worth here in St. Moritz. Uh, almost uh, time uh, to go, Andrew, maybe uh, just uh, a little bit of a, of a look ahead. Uh, we've been talking about there's a book of photography coming up. Uh, of course, we're going to have the new issue of CONFECT. Uh, of course, hitting newsstands. There's, there's copies in circulation right now. We've got a design
3: issue as well which ships off to press tomorrow, do we not? Uh, completely. The, the three-hour journey back from here to, uh, to, to Zurich is going to be rather busy. There's an editor's letter that should have been written on Friday. I'm being chased about as well. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm glad it's you these days and not, and, and, and not me.
1: Uh, Georgina, you, you were also, uh, of course, saying uh, many things coming up. It would be, uh, of course, great... Great to, great to do this again. We're thinking about Monocle Week here during Kinshasa. It, it, certainly, it certainly sounds <laughs> like uh, uh, maybe there could be one in Genoa uh, as well. And, and, and potentially, of course, we're looking at maybe doing our first version of this um, in the United States. Any other special requests?
2: Well, obviously, I want us to go to Africa. Um, but, uh, you know, just looking back at this weekend, Tyler, and to anybody that wasn't here, I can't stress enough, and I think everybody in this room here with us, our live audience, would agree what a fantastic sense of community it is and how we felt really brought together by this, this shared love of, of, of the brand, of the magazine, of the podcasts uh, and it's just been incredible and as I look out here with the blue, blue sky and the sun and the, the, the snow, it really just has been completely magical, so thank you.
1: Tom. Well, and also thanks to everyone uh, for being here uh, as well our Assemble group and also to Ilya Leonard Pfeiffer Stefano Roboli Nuno Cristosto,mo Andrew Tuck and also Georgina Godwin as well our producers today Desiree Bentley and also Emma Nelson back in London Nora Holmanning the desk I'm Tyler Brille Monocle on Sunday is back this time next week in Zurich have a good weekend goodbye